Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from the WVOX studios in New York. The battle against anti-Semitism and hate is not a new one. ADL has been waging it since 1913 when it was founded in the wake of the horrific Leo Frank case. The opening of the show Parade on Broadway this month has brought renewed attention to the Leo Frank case as it is the subject of this musical. So I thought we would do a little time travel on today's show. We're going back to the world of 1913, to the facts that led to the lynching of Leo Frank, to the environment in which Jews lived in this country at that time, and ultimately to the founding of ADL. This will be a special two-part show, and I can think of no better person than my colleague, mentor, and friend, Kenny Jacobson, to take us on this journey. He is ADL's Deputy National Director and the longest-serving staff person at ADL, having worked for the organization for more than 50 years. This is not his first time on the show, so I will say welcome back, Kenny, too, from the front lines. Good to be with you, Scott. So, Kenny, take us back to 1913. If you were a Jew who suddenly got off the boat at Ellis Island or the port in Baltimore or Galveston or San Francisco, what is the world you found in terms of how well accepted Jews were in American society at that time? Well, first of all, Jews had become a significant minority. Before 1880, there were about 50,000 Jews in America. By 1913, there were somewhere around a million Jews. This was the period of the great immigration of Jews before World War One. So there was a whole process of acculturation that any first-generation immigrant felt. But in addition to that, of course, there was a lot of anti-Semitism, which was shocking to many. And how did that anti-Semitism manifest itself? What, what did it look like in terms of everyday life for Jews? Yeah, so it appeared in different ways. There was what one called social anti-Semitism. There was a famous incident with a prominent Jew who wanted to go to a hotel in Saratoga, New York, and was excluded because they were Jews. The kind of thing affecting housing and employment. And both. But these were kind of existing and routine. They weren't very public. Uh, there was an element of political anti-Semitism when the populist movement was driving uh, this political leader, Tom Watson, would engage in uh, conspiracy theories about Jews. And, of course, there was a much more of a Jewish presence, and particularly in some of the what became Wall Street firms, German Jews uh, became leaders, and so that played into the old stereotype about Jews being powerful and Jews having money. So some of the, the historic uh, anti-Semitic theories that, of course, dominated in Europe had come to America, even though Jewish life was far better here than it was in Europe. And, and of course, shortly thereafter, we had World War One, and then sort of the, the closing of the gates with the Immigration Act of 1924. So all of this anti-Semitism in the air led to... Uh, uh, to real-world manifestations like that. And, of course, it wasn't just the Jews who were impacted. There, there were other uh, ethnic groups that, that uh, people looked to exclude. Yeah, and that was the great disaster go going forward to the Jewish people. We don't talk enough about how the anti-immigration laws of the 20s uh, cost, I would estimate, maybe as many as 2 million Jews might have organically come to America uh, between 19, even 1921 and 1933, 
Jews, Jewish lives, of course, were lost to the Nazis. And if America had been open the way it was before World War One, that would have changed Jewish history. In this environment, we're introduced to a man named Leo Frank. Who was he, and and why did he move to Atlanta? Well, he was a New York Jew, a simple guy, who married a, a woman who lived in Atlanta and whose father owned a pencil factory. And Leo Frank moved to Atlanta, and naturally part of the family, he became a manager in that pencil factory. And so that sort of set up the disastrous situation that uh, then ensued. So a New York Jew moves to Atlanta, and uh, what what was Atlanta like at that time? I mean, uh, we we sort of have a sense that that the South was not hospitable for uh, for blacks necessarily, uh, or perhaps less hospitable uh, than the North. But uh, but what was the case for Jews? Well, of course, this is the era of Jim Crow. So for blacks, it was really not a welcoming place. Uh, Jewish life in the South was a mixed bag. Uh, Jews did okay. There weren't that many through the through the 19th century. Uh, you know, there was anti-Semitism, there were stereotypes, but I would not suggest that Jewish life was disastrous in any way. Jews were able to live in the South, but beneath the surface, there were many anti-Semitic tropes that existed, and this all came to bear with the Leo Frank case. All right, so shortly after he takes over as manager of this pencil factory, uh, a gruesome discovery is made, and he was blamed. What what happened? Well, there was a young woman, her name was Mary Fagan, and she was discovered to have been murdered. And uh, a process in which uh, Leo Frank was accused of the murder and was arrested, and what ensued then was a trial of Leo Frank. Uh, the trial itself had many questionable elements to it, and the, surrounding the trial were many comments made about Jews and stereotypes about Jews being rapists and all kinds of classic stereotypes that, as I said, had been beneath the surface and really began to emerge during the trial. And eventually he was found guilty of the crime and uh, was arrested. Um, there was... Plenty of evidence suggesting that he was not. There even was some other potential people who worked there who seemed to be involved in it later, years, years later. There seemed to be more evidence that someone else had committed the crime. Uh, but he was arrested. The governor, after a while, uh, convinced that Leo Frank was not guilty, uh, decided to parole him in the sense of cutting his sentence down from, uh, from uh, execution to a uh, life sentence, and then that led to what came to be known as the most infamous lynching of a Jew in American history. All right, so uh, maybe take us through that. Uh, he His sentence was commuted to uh, to life in prison, but that's not how the story ended. Right. So he was in a prison in a town outside of, of Atlanta, and uh, one night a mob came in, assaulted the prison, grabbed him, took him out, and uh, and lynched him, and uh, you know it was really uh, one of the most depressing moments for American Jews. Of course, African Americans, tragically in our history, there were too many of those kinds of things. For the American Jewish community, I'm not saying it was the only lynching, but it's the most famous or infamous lynching of a Jew 
Um, and it definitely was a culmination of anti-Semitism, as I said, that had been beneath the surface, really coming to because the comments that were made and, and all that clearly were a reflection of a belief that Jews were this evil power and Leo Frank represented what the Jews were about. So it, it really was one of the low moments in American Jewish history. And tell us about the reaction. How how was this tragedy received by the Jewish community, or or the general community for that matter? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, of course, it, it it is very often associated with the founding of ADL. Um, the history is a little unclear. Uh, it stated that it's connected to it because both ADL and the Leo Frank arrest and trial were 1913. Some some indicate that the Sigmund Livingston, the founder of ADL, actually had the idea for ADL a while earlier. Whether or not it was directly a cause and effect, what was clear was that it confirmed for the founders of ADL and the original charter of ADL was signed by a hundred leading American Jews all, around, all across the country. This confirmed the fact of a, a wise decision to create an organization dealing with anti-Semitism in America, and it really sort of generated tremendous uh, enthusiasm and initiative for the work of ADL, which was seen as so relevant. Not uh, such a happy ending for uh, for Leo Frank, uh, or happy time, but, uh, but necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, as you began to discuss, and, and we'll discuss more in part two, uh, ADL was founded in the wake of this difficult moment. Uh, so for now, I'll say many thanks, Kenny, for journeying with us back to 1913. And for all of the details on the Frank case, thanks thanks so much. You're welcome. Pleasure. And of course, a big thank you to the listeners who tuned in to From the Frontlines, either live on WVOX 1460 AM or as a podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on Facebook and Twitter. My handle is at Scott A. Richmond, and our hashtag is fighting hate for good.